Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Hey, I do want to say one thing about the home group study on marriage, right? Some people, I saw some people are here from like the mainland. They're like cold weather. Yeah, you're funny. Um, we just spent a couple weeks talking about marriage, right? Like that was like, what, two, three weeks ago? And we talked about the fact that marriage is sacred, right? This is incredibly, incredibly important, our marriages. And so I want to seriously encourage everybody to be involved in it. Even if you've never been in a home group before, come and be a part of this. It's only seven weeks. You can do anything for seven weeks, right? And it's a phenomenal book. And I'll tell you straight up, I've read a whole lot of marriage books, and I greatly dislike most of them. I really don't. Most of them are super hokey, and I don't like them. I really, really like this book. I really do. And, and I think it'll be valuable for everybody to be... Singles, you need to be there. Because here's what's happening with the singles. The singles are looking for somebody to marry, right? But they're looking at that person. But before you look at that person on who you're supposed to marry, you need to look at yourself and make sure that you're worthy of marrying. So come out and learn what it means to be a godly man or woman, husband and wife. And then here's the, the, the next challenge on this is for the men. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a sad truth in the modern American church, and that is the spiritual leader of most households in America is the wife. That, that's just evident. Anybody that's been around church for a long time. It's not everybody, thank God, but, but we'd have to agree, wouldn't we, that that happens a lot more than it should. So here's what's going to happen today. We got the signups at that back table. I want the husbands, the men, after this, go sign you and your wife up. Tell her, woman, we're going to go to this thing. We're going to get our marriage right. You know, I'm going to stop slacking off. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, right? If you're slacking off, you might not be. I'm just throwing that out there like that. But let me say this in all seriousness. A church will live and die by whether or not it has godly men leading, right? That's not to diminish the role of the woman or the wife in any way. But a church will live and die. Uh, Or family will live and die by whether there are true godly men at the head of it. So men, let's take this serious and let's do it. All right? Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Christmas is peace. Luke chapter 2. And as you turn there, we're going to pray. Lord God, Holy Spirit, pour out upon us now. We gather together as a church. We know our failures and our faults. And we ask you to move right now. We ask you to come and and speak to our hearts. You know who we are. You know the wickedness of my heart. Lord, we humble ourselves now before a holy God. And we ask you to have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our families. Lord, we're desperate for a move of your spirit. So we ask you to come now, Lord, fill this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
we are spending the month of December, what's traditionally called the Advent season, we're spending this time preparing for Christmas, right? We talked about that last week. Not preparing like, you know, getting lights and trees and presents ready. We're talking about preparing spiritually, right? What we said is we're not going to allow the busyness and the distractions of this time of year to sidetrack us from what we really should be focused on and what we really are celebrating, and that's Jesus. So we're taking the whole of Advent season for opportunities to reflect on what happened, what came, what was given to humanity, the, the real Christmas present, on that night in Bethlehem. And so last week we talked about Christmas is hope. Of course, you can go to the website and get that or on iTunes. This week we're talking about Christmas is peace. Next week, Christmas is joy. And then on Christmas Eve, as Butch was talking about, there are these uh, invites to invite your friends to Christmas Eve. We're talking about Christmas is love. Today, we're talking about peace, though. Christmas is peace. And I want to start with a question that at first might seem a bit off topic, but hopefully I'll be able to connect it for us somewhere along the way. I want you to answer this just, just to yourself but answered honestly. Have you ever really thought about, or how often have you really thought about, how often have you imagined and pictured the moment that you're going to stand before God? There's going to be that moment when you stand yourself before God Almighty. How often have you pictured that moment? i got to confess that I don't feel that I've done it nearly as much as I should have. This week I spent a little bit of time doing that as I was preparing for this message. And I don't think a lot of people do. Which, if you think about it, is really kind of strange, isn't it? Because... It could happen at any moment, number one. And number two, I agree with what Francis Chan said when he said, hands down, it will be the most shocking moment of our existence. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. And the Bible guarantees it for all of humanity, doesn't it? It's going to be a heavy moment. It's going to be a shocking and awesome moment. It says in Romans chapter 14, 11 and 12, it says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account to himself for God. That's going to be a shocking moment, won't it? For some... It'll be the fulfillment and the pinnacle of all that you've lived for. It'll be glorious, right? You lived for Christ, you've longed to be with Him, and suddenly you're there. We talked a little bit about that last week as we looked at what Paul said in Philippians 1.21 when he said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He's saying, for me to live, I'm going to live this life for Christ. He's going to give it great purpose and meaning. I'm going to, this existence right now is going to be lived out for Christ. And when I die, I get to go be with Jesus. So it's going to be a gain. We talked about that last week. But make no mistake, even for those of us that can say that with Paul, it will be a heavy and overwhelming moment, won't it? When we stand before God Almighty. For others, the Bible teaches that it'll be nothing but terrifying as they realize that their rejection of and their rebellion to God is now about to be dealt with before the Almighty. My point, though, is this, that either way, it's going to be a heavy moment. It's going to be intense. And all that we need to look at to know that is to take and look at some of the moments in biblical history, in Scripture, where people caught a glimpse of God. There's just a few of them in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of them. There's more than these, but let me give you a few. One is Job in Job 42, and he said this. He said, I've heard of you, speaking to God. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's after God had already said that Job was a righteous man. But when he saw God face to face, he says, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. The apostle Paul In the book of Revelation, keep in mind, this is one who walked with Jesus and lived his life for Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. For for those in the book of Revelation that had been in rebellion to God, we read of them in chapter 6 where it says, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid himself in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath, keep that word in mind for a little bit, wrath, from the wrath of the lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to stand? And then Isaiah And Isaiah chapter 6 says this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the trail of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You see what happened? When even godly men like John and Isaiah, Job, stand before the Lord. It's a shocking moment, isn't it? There's plenty of other examples. But the point of of doing that 
is to give us a sense this morning that what we're talking about is a God who is holy, holy, holy. And there will be an overwhelming moment where that truth is realized by everyone. You know, as we start to connect it to peace now, when you think about those on their deathbed, or, or you think about an individual who has an incredibly severe injury that's going to lead to a speedy death, or, or somebody that has a terminal illness and they're in their last moments and, the, and they're facing eternity, or sometimes a soldier that's going off into a battle that looks like he's probably not going to make it back, or something to that effect. What's the question that's always asked? Have you made what? Peace with God. Have you made peace with God? So the question that we're going to look at this morning is, what is true peace? And what is its connection to Christmas? And we pick up with our text here in Luke chapter 2, with Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, the place where it had been prophesied the Messiah would be born by Micah in Micah 5.2. And let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her, Mary, to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, watch this, suddenly, there appeared with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and here's where we're going for today. And on earth, what's it say? Peace among men with whom he is well pleased. You see this picture. I mean, I've been in Israel and, and late at night, and I can picture some of you guys who have been there with me can picture in your mind those hills around Bethlehem. And shepherds sitting out there in just stark black night, and all of a sudden an angel appears to you. Woo! <laughs> and then all of a sudden he tells you, don't worry. And then a whole host of angels appear. And then they announce that there is peace on earth. On that verse Christmas, there's an announcement of peace. There's also another Old Testament prophecy of Christmas from Isaiah chapter 9, where Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. We used this text last week when we were looking at Matthew chapter 1. He, the angel in Matthew chapter 1, speaking to Joseph, quoted this text in Isaiah 9. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And then don't miss this. There will be no end 
to the increase of his government or of peace. There will be no end to the peace that he brings. So there's somehow this direct connection between Christmas and peace presented in Scripture. Isaiah prophesying some 700 years before Christmas of Christmas, saying that the Messiah will be the Prince of Peace and there will be no end to His peace. And then here on the very first Christmas, we have these angels proclaiming that there is peace on earth. But the question is this. What is this peace that the angels are announcing? Because we would have to... Well, I mean, when you look at the ways that we define peace, let me give you some. The common definition that you would find for peace in in, in any dictionary would be something like this. Freedom from disturbance, right? That's that's peace. Or, Or an absence of trouble or a period of no war and fighting. But we would have to admit, wouldn't we, as we look at the world around us, that there's really not that kind of peace in any vast way. There's no world peace around us. You don't have to watch news very long to see that, do you? You look at North Korea and Iran and Syria and Iraq and Russia invading Ukraine and ISIS in the Middle East and the Palestinians and the Israelis and and, and the protests even going on in America. We would have to look at that and say, there's no widespread peace on earth at this moment, is there? And we look at at recent history where where there's been wars and crusades and jihads and genocides and slavery and holocausts. And we'd have to say, in recent history, there hasn't been this widespread world peace. And at the time of Jesus, was there world peace? I mean, the Romans were ruling over these people with an iron fist. In fact, not long after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, all the baby boys were killed there. That's not peace. And then Jesus himself is violently killed. And then almost all of the original disciples were violently killed. And then thousands over the centuries after that were violently killed. And Jesus told us that in this world you'll have tribulation. And he told his followers and apostles that that they would be arrested and beaten and killed for their testimony of him. What is this peace? And still to come, Scripture tells us that there will be major strife in the end times, in, in the last days, and then leading up to this incredible battle in the Valley of Armageddon. So there wasn't widespread peace now, then, or in the near future. So what is the peace that this angel is proclaiming at the birth of Christ? It all boils down to this. We have to understand this before everything else. There's only true peace when we've made peace with God. There's only a true peace when we have peace with God. Peace is not just an absence of trouble or a freedom from disturbance. Because you already know this. Regardless of how many precautions you make, guys, how comfortable you're able to make this life, how much money you save or how much insurance you buy to give you peace of mind, 
regardless of what you do to give yourself a sense of peace, there is still that moment, isn't there, that you will stand before Almighty God. And until you know that you've got peace with Him, there's no true peace in our heart. And so what the angels were proclaiming on that first Christmas when they said peace on earth was not a social peace or a political peace or a world peace. They were talking about a way of peace. A way of peace that people can have with God. And that way of peace was laying in a manger in Bethlehem and would grow up to be a man and would live a sinless life that we could never live. And that would qualify him to die an atoning death for our sin, setting us free from the power and the penalty of sin. And then on the third day, he would rise again to prove that he alone has the power over death. Amen. And for all who turn to Christ by faith, we are forgiven and we are restored. And that's when Romans 5.1 comes in and says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This world's crazy. Life is hard. You know that. Life is hard. Some of us have diseases that's going to take our lives. Some of us have family strife that is just unbelievable. Life is difficult. There's only peace in Christ. True peace, enduring peace, eternal peace. So that the weight of this is not lost on us, what I want to do is look at a few verses that highlight what we were without Christ and what he's done for us. In these verses, both are there. It talks about what we were before we had Christ and what we are in Christ. And I want you to look for both of these things in these few verses. First one's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were, notice, formerly where? Far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, and there's our word, peace. We who were once, what? Far off from Christ with no way to draw near on our own because of our sin. But through the cross and the blood of Christ, we were brought to Him, and peace was restored through Jesus Christ between us and God. Another verse that shows us what we were without Christ and what we are in Christ is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look what it says. It says, God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see what I'm talking about when it's showing us what we were and what we are? God demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having been justified by his blood, we were saved from what? From the wrath of God through him. For if while we were We see what we were before. Enemies. We were reconciled to God 
through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. It's not that we were just separated from God as in like we were over here and he was over there. Scripture teaches that because of our rebellion, we were actually enemies of God and headed for wrath. That's what these verses are telling us. What it's saying is that through Christ, though, God showed his love for us. And then what it said, he demonstrated his love for us, that Christ died for us. He saved us from the wrath of God and he reconciled us. Reconciled means that he restored the relationship that had been broken by sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That's what reconciliation is. And then it says in verse 9 that we were justified by his blood. Justified means that we were made right in the eyes of God. It means that we are now, though we're sinful, we are now acceptable to a holy God through Jesus' sacrifice. It says in Romans chapter 5 of this, Therefore, having been justified, there's that word, justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. There's that word again. We've seen it like four or five times. The wrath of God. Guys, that's not a very popular subject to preach on right there, the wrath of God. It's not a fun one. I would rather stay away from it if I could. But it's biblical. And we see it over and over again. It's the reality of our condition without Christ. We're under the wrath of God. And I would be failing you if I didn't tell you the truth. Jesus did. In John chapter 6, verse 36, he says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's heavy. That's heavy. That's what we were apart from Christ. Enemies of God with the Wrath of God abiding upon us. Another verse to show us what we were without Christ and what he's done for us is Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him. That means that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ in a human body. He was 100% human, yet at the same time, 100% God. That's what he's talking about. For it was, it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Here's our word again. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him. I, said, I say, whether things on earth or whether things on heaven. And although we were, and here's what we were before formerly alienated, hostile in mind, and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death 
in order to present you to him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Guys, that should blow our mind a little bit right there. It says that apart from Christ, we were alienated, we were hostile, and we were engaged in evil. But in Christ, it tells us twice, we were reconciled, we were restored to God. He made peace through the blood of the cross. And then don't miss this. He will, Jesus Christ, will present you holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. You know what that means? That means on that moment, when you stand before God, you're not going to stand there by yourself. There will be one with you that is going to present you as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. It's talking about that moment when you stand before God face to face and what Christ has done for us. That is, that even though, and you know this, and I know this of myself, even though I am more sinful than I would ever like to think, in Christ we have the opportunity to stand before God holy, without blame, and righteous. Not because of anything that we've done, but solely because Jesus paid our price on the cross. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It means that Jesus took my sin and hung upon that cross with it. And when I stand before God, Jesus will be next to me, presenting me as holy and blameless before God Almighty. Guys, that's what Christmas is all about. We've filled it with a lot of things, haven't we? Presents, trees, and lights, and elves, and foolishness. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what peace is all about. That we would have peace with God through Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the angels were singing. When they appeared to those shepherds, on that night, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. That's what the whole thing is about, is that we can have peace with God. We're going to pray. Um, I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never made that peace with God, if you've never come to God before. There may not be anybody here that this is the case for, but maybe you're here this morning and you've never made peace with God. Your eternity is unknown to you. And you want to be able to stand before God with Jesus as your advocate on that day. You want to be holy and blameless and righteous before God on that day. 
you want to be forgiven of sin and you want to live a life for Christ right now. I want just to ask you to stand up where you are if that's you. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer if there's anybody here. I know it's a bold move and maybe there's nobody here. But if you're here this morning and you want to make that move, if you would, just stand right where you are. All right, for the rest of us, what do we do about this? We praise. That's right, isn't it? We praise God that this is our truth, that this is our future, that whatever we go through in this life, whatever level of turmoil and and pain, whatever disease that we contract, whatever injury that we get, whatever will ultimately take our life, whatever strife is in our family, in our workplace, or all around us, whatever it is, there is a true peace, isn't there, in Christ Jesus. Let's do one more verse. You want to do one more verse? Turn to Philippians. We're just going to get nuts for a second. I love this verse. Philippians chapter 4. We were talking about this on Tuesday on our uh, prayer meeting night. Philippians 4, look at verse 6 and 7. Verse 6. Be anxious for how much? Nothing. That right there should mess you up. Right? This is not some silly reggae song, don't worry, be happy. This is God Almighty telling you be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God just told you don't ever worry about anything ever again. How easy is that for us? Instead, we are to do what? Draw near to Him, and in Him there is a peace that surpasses any comprehension. Guys, that's a good God right there. And that's a God worthy of worship. And so whatever you're holding on to right now, it's time to let it go. It's time to come to Him and allow His peace to wash over us. Amen? Lord, we're grateful for that. We're going to show you how grateful we are in our worship, Lord. Lord, as we worship you now, we pray your spirit would fall like those crackers just did. Lord, we ask that in our lives, in the craziness of them, in the turbulence of them, in the pains that we suffer, Lord, there are people in this room that have lost children and parents and loved ones recently that are facing incredible pain, but you're enough. You're enough. And we have peace in you. If we'll just draw near to you, Lord, we have peace in you that surpasses all comprehension, Lord. And for that, Lord, we worship you. 
We worship you that there's nothing in this world and nothing in this life that can take away the peace that we have in you. And that, Lord, is worthy of every ounce of our attention and worship at this moment in time. So, Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, fall in you.